Well, here we are in the physical intimacy lesson. And for those of you who need a hint as to what that phrase means, yes, we are talking about sex. Some of you might be really excited about this topic, and for others, this conversation will bring up some shame, fear, or painful ideas. We know there's a broad range of perspectives on this topic, and the reality is that we all have some form of baggage when it comes to sex. Let's take back the ground the enemy has taken and redefine physical intimacy as good, the way God intended it. I know that for some of us, this whole topic is something that, well, maybe for, for you, it's, it's a healthy part of your marriage. But then there's others I know that it's a struggle. This is really difficult to talk about. I know that you're coming from a lot of different places. And I would want you to know before I proceed that you're among friends tonight. You, you don't have to worry that the application, the action item uh, is, uh, okay, guys, go home and have sex. You know, I, I know of places that, that have done that. And that's, I believe that for some of us, that could be the worst prescription I could give because I, I, you know, actually at the bottom of the notes, I left it blank. It says application with a question mark. The, the point in all of this, the addressing this is I want to give you tools to have a conversation about intimacy, to be asking yourself, what could we do to take the next steps toward having a healthy sex life? So maybe it is, you know, there, it, it could be a, a wide variety of application things, but that's gonna be for you to decide. So I wanna say that, I wanna, you know, get, make that clear before moving on, because while this might be a, a place of a joy in your marriage, it could be very difficult. Wherever we are, I'm hoping that we grow together and experiencing oneness in this context. One of the obstacles, though, to experiencing oneness and sexual intimacy is the fact that we often have misconceptions and just obstacles to it. So here's some misconceptions and obstacles to sexual intimacy. One of them is the tendency to minimize sex. And some of us do this, some of us don't, but you might have the attitude that, oh, it's just sex. It's not a big deal. Well, it is a big deal. You, I don't think you'd overhear somebody saying, oh, we've got a great marriage, but we just have horrible communication or we don't, we don't have any connection into, uh, emotionally. No, these different aspects of oneness, they're all vital. Sexual intimacy is a vital aspect of oneness, which is God's purpose in marriage. So minimizing sex is, is an obstacle. Here's another one though, is maximizing sex. It's the other extreme. It's to make too much of it. I know that early on I had, I had this mentality is it, sex was the measure of our marriage. You know, it, it, I wouldn't go this far as to say I attached a salvific value to it, but I came just short of it. It, it, it seemed like, I know of people, again, this was me for a while, that we can get upset and angry if it's not as good or as often as we would want it to be. You know, it's not, sex is, it's good, it's a gift, but it's not God. So to make, to maximize sex, to make too much of it. If you do that, it'll always disappoint. It'll cause frustration and bitterness if we make too much of it. Here's the next thing. 
assuming intimacy problems start in the bedroom. This is a problem of being reductionistic or simplistic to assume that, oh, the problems we're having connecting sexually, that's, uh, that's a problem of a lack of love making skill or a problem of sexual compatibility. You may have heard the, um, <clears throat> the expression that all of marriage is foreplay. And I think there's some truth to that. Sexual intimacy is built off of all these things we've really been talking about in, in the previous chapters. Things like the way we love, the, the way we show grace to each other, our humility, the, how we forgive, how we communicate, emotional intimacy. Those things all play into sexual intimacy. If you miss the point of that, and think that, oh, it's intimacy problems, they start in the bedroom and they're solved in the bedroom, then you're gonna likely think of this topic as, well, the application is we need to spice things up in the bedroom. And that's gonna go south because really only one of you will be on board for that application. Sexual intimacy is meant to be an expression of oneness where you're both on board, You're, you're both there and both present, built off the back of emotional intimacy and everything else. Next, allowing our expectations to be shaped by things other than God's word. You know, these could be expectations about frequency, about what's supposed to happen in the bedroom, about the passion and intensity, the romance or what looks, you know, you should be expecting what your spouse should be looking like. All these things, If we are not shaping our expectations, if it's not being shaped by God's word, it's being shaped somewhere else by our culture. Some of us learned about sex uh, way too young, maybe from a magazine or maybe if you're, you know, if you're younger, it might be from a computer or those, you know, romance novels or romantic comedies. I mean, you can just go on and on and it leaves us with all these different ideas that might not be reality. That's why, that's why I believe porn is so destructive. It trains men to expect things of their wives that their wives are not interested in or they can't even, don't even want to do or they can't compete with it. It leads to discontentment, frustration, insecurity, and shame. It doesn't, pornography doesn't show you how sex works. It shows you what male lust looks like. So, and Hollywood doesn't help either because you take the romantic expectations that can be shaped by some of the shows that we watch. And there's just this chemistry or this, the, the, the chiseled fearless good looks of this man who just fearlessly, you know, is taken, taken over by the, the beauty of this woman. And he just goes after her in the most beautiful way. Those things, it's not the way reality works. And the chemistry and sex that you see in Hollywood, it's always sizzling with intensity. And if you've been married long, that long, you know that that's not the way it usually works. One of the pastors, before I got married, I, I met with one of the pastors and he told me, as I was so looking forward to getting married and experiencing sex, he told me, Ryan, sex is hard work. And I was like, yeah, right. Yeah, it's hard work. It's that those expectations were were being shaped by how easy it, <clears throat> easy it seems to be in the it happens in the shows and in the movies. Other things, other misconceptions and obstacles. 
time, a lack of time, having kids. I won't say anything else about that. Stress, fatigue, different desire levels, mistrust, unresolved differences. For some, it may be hard because of stuff that's happened in the past or maybe where you are, where you are currently. There may be other challenges. I, pain. That's not a, maybe not a real common theme, but for Brandy and I, for the first few mar- uh, years of our marriage, we experienced a significant level of pain that made this whole topic a source of frustration and discouragement for both of us. And on my side, I knew that it was nothing that was to no fault of Brandy's or mine. It was something that was just the reality. And it led to this hurt and resentment that I couldn't resent Brandy But I also didn't know who to resent. I'm not sure if I was resenting God or what, but the pain was made sex and sexual intimacy a painful topic for lack of a better word. And this is all because sexual intimacy is necessary for a healthy marriage. We need to know how to talk about it. It's too big to sweep under the rug. And the best thing we can do is to get clarity from God's word about sex and about what he intends for us in this whole topic of sexual intimacy. So let's look at God's design in sexual intimacy. Number one, God designed sexual intimacy to be a loving expression of oneness. Let's look at Genesis 2, 24 and 25 again. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That term hold fast In the King James Version and the Revised Standard also, it's translated as the word cleave. That's a word that we talked about in the commitment talk. It means to unify, to to make one, to essentially to merge into a single legal, social, economic unit. Put it this way, in love, sex is, is a way to donate yourself wholly to your spouse. It's the sign that you're one. So it's a sign that you're a one, but to take it a step further, sex is also a uniting act. It unifies, it, 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 it makes you one. 1 Corinthians 6, 15 and 16 says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? This is Paul speaking. He says, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. One flesh means more than mere sexual union because it it really wouldn't make sense. This passage wouldn't make sense if, if it were simply sexual union, then this is how it would read. Verse 16 would say, don't you know that he who has sexual union with a prostitute has has sexual union with a prostitute? That would be redundant. No, sex is both a sign of the covenant as well as a means to accomplish it. It is a uniting act. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, sexual intimacy is a covenant renewal ceremony. That's the next point here. Sex allows a husband and a wife to partake in a covenant renewal ceremony. That language is borrowed from, from the meaning of marriage. Uh, Tim Keller's book. Sex is God's way of allowing us to say 
with our whole selves, our whole bodies, I belong completely, wholly, permanently, and exclusively to you. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful way of uniting and, and expressing your marriage all over again. Another quote from this book, once you've given yourself in marriage, sex is God's way for you to maintain and deepen that union as the years go by. What a gift, what a, what a beautiful way that God has allowed us to experience oneness. I've also heard it called emotional glue. I mean, just two people, they, they, they get emotionally glued to one another through sexual intimacy. And it has that effect, practically speaking. That season that Brandy and I were going through the physical pain, I remember that the resulting infrequency, maintaining the, the emotional feeling of oneness was very much an uphill battle during that season. I think there was more fighting, there was more hurt, more resentment. God gave us this gift of sexual intimacy to function much like the way oil functions in the engine of a car. Without it, the friction of the parts, of all those moving parts, they will burn out the, mo the motor. Without, jo without joyful, loving sexual intimacy, the friction in a marriage will bring about anger, resentment, hardness, and disappointment, not to mention temptation. So God designed sexual intimacy to be a loving expression of oneness. And let me be clear about this. To use sex in any other way is to begin to weaken and frankly, to pollute it. it to use sex in any other way is to weaken and pollute what God intended. So, so what does scripture say healthy sexual intim intimacy should look like? Well, here are a few characteristics. Number one, true sexual intimacy is about giving, not getting. Now, I'm borrowing that from Acts 20, verse 35, where Jesus says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. There is real pleasure in experiencing and pursuing and thinking about sexual intimacy this way, that it's about giving, not about getting. That mindset leads to more joy. I, too many of us focus on the pleasure we're, and we're receiving and wondering why things are lacking. The greatest sexual pleasure should be found in giving your spouse pleasure. As followers of Christ, we've seen this played out in other areas. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I mean, as you get older, is not Christmas about giving gifts to, to one another and to, to your kids or to your, to your loved ones? I, I genuinely enjoy giving more than I do uh, getting now. When you spend a Saturday afternoon giving your time and serving, you, find, you, you don't end those Saturday afternoons go, why did I waste my day? No. But when we spend our days on ourselves, we begin to feel that way. We feel it's a, it's a waste. There is joy in giving. And if this is your focus, it may help you face that problem of one person wanting sex more than the other. If your main purpose is giving pleasure, then a person who doesn't have as much of a sex drive can give to the other person as a gift. Sexual intimacy, true intimacy is about giving, not getting. Next, true sexual intimacy involves mutual pleasure. Ideally, it's mutually enjoyable 
and it's, it's, and it's an expressive love. I mean, here I'm, I'm going to Song of Solomon. Uh, I don't actually have it in your notes, but Song of Solomon chapter four, verse 16. We have the privilege of listening in on what is normally a private experience. We get to, in a sense, listen in to what's going on behind the bedroom doors of Solomon and his wife. And it's this normally private experience, but in a sacred, sacred experience. And God gives us this glimpse. And what goes on in Song of Solomon is we hear things like Solomon's wife saying things like, awake, O north wind. That's Song of Solomon, verse, chapter four, verse 16. She says, awake, O north wind. And, and what, what that means, it's a poetic way of saying, bring it. <laughs> She's all in, she's present. North wind is, is a strong wind. And she's saying, come, come, bring your strength, bring who you are and be with me in a sense. She's fully present. Nobody's checking their watch. Nobody's bored. Shanti Feldman, uh, Felden, I don't know how to pronounce her name exactly, but she, she is a, uh, she's written a number of books, but she is also a good statistician. She knows, uh, she's created these survey questions and one of them, is that with regard to sex, this question, with regard to sex, for some men, it is sufficient to be sexually gratified whenever they want. For other men, it is important to feel wanted and desired by their wife. Here's the question she asks. How important is it to you to also feel sexually wanted and desired by your wife? In this answer, asking men, how important is it to feel wanted by your wife? scored the highest degree of unanimity of any question. 97% of men said getting enough sex wasn't by itself enough. They wanted to feel wanted by their wives. The survey showed that even if they were getting all the sex that they wanted, three out of four men would still feel empty if their wife wasn't both engaged and satisfied. That pushes against the stereotype, I think, that, yeah, it's... God designed this to be mutually pleasurable. He wants reciprocal passion. The, the, these first two points are tied together because sexual intimacy will thrive when we are more concerned with giving sexual pleasure rather than getting it. What a beautiful compliment to the way it works everywhere else in life. That you know, if you have kids, you're joyful when your kids are joyful. You're hurting when your kids are hurting. It's, a form, it's compassion. You care about what other people are experiencing. Should it not be any different? It shouldn't be any different in the bedroom, right? Next, true sexual intimacy is mindful and considerate. Song of Solomon chapter four, verse five. He says, your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. That's Solomon talking to his wife. And here he's being poetic and he's speaking to her gently in, in a way that is, is beautiful. He's thinking, he's getting into her mind. Ideally, sex should be mindful and considerate. Solomon, or whoever the author is, because there's some you know, disagreement about who, who is speaking here, but Solomon is romantic and tender. You know, Michael Bolton had an album a number of years ago called Time, Love, and Tenderness. Not saying I'm a fan, but Michael Bolton was onto something because he got it. Solomon was speaking with, he took time, he showed love, he showed tenderness. 
Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. <laughs> How do you approach fawns grazing among the lilies? You don't blitz them, you know? <laughs> you don't run up and tackle them. You, no, you, you approach them gently. And so he tells her she's beautiful. And if you look at this whole chapter, he tells her she's beautiful with her clothes on. He tells her that when her clothes are off, he disarms his bride before he disrobes her. This is what I think is amazing. Song of Solomon, even the Bible, it's, it's a very uncomfortable book for the prudish, you know? This is, this is what we get to see, the a characteristics of true sexual intimacy. It's about giving, not getting, about mutual pleasure, and it's mindful and considerate. Being mindful and considerate, that really builds off the foundation of emotional intimacy, right? Here's the last characteristic. True sexual intimacy is about much more than sex. Sexual intimacy is about much more than sex. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This, is, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This is exactly where we went last week. When sex becomes the context for you to give, to love, to accept, to serve, to cherish, to be naked and unashamed together, it's a holy thing. It's beautiful. Holy means being set apart for special use. Sex is not for everybody, right? It's set apart by God for special use in the context of marriage. And it's meant not to be about marriage only, but it's meant to point us to the reality that it's about Christ and his church. It's meant to remind us of the God who gave it. This gift of sex is meant to draw our attention to the God who gave it. And he takes joy in it. He takes joy in the union of his people and he takes joy in union with his people. You know, sex is meant to be a place where there is love, joy, and acceptance, where we are most vulnerable, where we are naked and hopefully unashamed. Is that not what Christ has done for us? When we were naked and vulnerable before God, and frankly, at our worst, Romans 5, verses 6, Verse six says, when, uh, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were naked and vulnerable and at our worst, Christ looked at you, looked at you and me and said, I'll take that one. That's the one I want. I, I want her, I want him. He's, he loved us, moved toward us. That's a beautiful picture that's reflected, illustrated for us beautifully in the gift of sexual intimacy. Now, like I mentioned at the beginning, I left the application blank. I didn't want to fill this out on purpose because there's gonna be a lot of variation of how this message is to be applied. But let me give you some potential suggestions. You might need to go home and pray. Just pray together, pray apart, but ask God to move you toward a, a more beautiful picture of sexual intimacy for the sake of experiencing oneness. If you want to work on your sexual intimacy, start by working on your marriage. That's another point. You need to pursue your spouse's heart before you pursue your spouse's body. So work on your marriage is a great way to work on sexual intimacy.
Stop trying to perform and just start trying to simply love one another in sex. Sex is a great context to learn patience, kindness, service, self-control. So stop trying to perform and start trying to simply love in the bedroom. Next, check your expectations against God's word. Another potential application. And last one I have here, there might be others. Never give up working on your sex life. Consider asking your spouse where it is that he or she would like you to grow. Wisely talk to others about this in an honorable way. Somebody of the same sex, you know? This is something that we don't want to stop learning uh, because we don't know everything. There's room to grow. So never give up working on your sex life. It's my prayer that this is applied in a healthy way because I believe there's joy here. But let me close by praying and asking God to help us to grow where, we're, where we need to grow. Father, I thank you for giving us the gift of sexual intimacy. And I pray for everyone who's listening that they would listen to you, that they would lean into you and, and ask you where you want them to focus on applying what they're learning here. Where, where do they need to grow? Where do you want them to grow? And with, uh, with teachable spirits, with sensitivity, would you allow us to move forward, move toward our spouses in love? And I ask these things in Jesus' name. 